Hello. Our Bible reading this morning is taken from John chapter 20, from verses 24 to 31. We're continuing our series uh, through the last couple of chapters of the book of John, looking at the lead up to Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection and the events that happened subsequent to that. So John chapter 20, from verse 24 to 31, hear God's word. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Well, friends, we come to the uh, penultimate in our little series in John's Gospel, and we come to this story of Thomas. Uh, this is where we get the colloquial term, doubting Thomas from. No doubt, excuse the pun, uh, from Jesus' words to him in verse 27, Stop doubting and believe. Now, Thomas gets a little bit of a bad rap historically because of that moniker that's been attached to him, Doubting Thomas. Uh, we actually learn quite a bit about him through the stories in John's Gospel. He's got at least two other speaking parts. Uh, and in the same way that a couple weeks back we kind of looked at Peter's story and how it was interwoven with Jesus' story in Peter's denial and Jesus' trial, today we're having a look at Thomas. Thomas is an incredibly important character in the Gospel of John. He's an incredibly important character for you if you've ever struggled with doubt, or skepticism, or unbelief, or uncertainty, or even disappointment. Because at the heart of Thomas's doubt was this incredible disappointment that he had watched Jesus, the one whom he had come to believe, was the Messiah, the promised one of God, who had finally come into the world after all these years to save God's people and to rescue them, had been crucified, had been humiliated, had, been, had suffered at the hands of his enemies in the grossest possible way, now dead and gone. And so you've got to understand that Thomas was just reeling from disappointment at this point in time. And all of his doubt and all of his skepticism, his words in verse 26, where he said to them, unless I see, and you can just imagine the disciples are coming, Thomas, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. Thomas, you've got to believe, we've seen the Lord. And he wasn't there. And so these words, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. There is an element where uh, Thomas stands for all of us 
who have ever doubted and who have ever been disappointed um, by Christianity, by Christians before, as one who experiences the risen Lord Jesus. But before we just nail ourselves down into this passage, let me just show you how Thomas's story works itself out in the rest of John's Gospel. In John chapter 11, just after Lazarus had died, we meet Thomas for the first time. Uh, Jesus says in John 11 verse 14, Jesus said plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Now remember that, just file that away. I'm glad Lazarus has died, I'm glad this has happened, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And we meet Thomas. Thomas, called the twin, says to his fellow disciples, let us also go there, that we may die with him. Uh, Thomas, if he was a Winnie the Pooh character, he would be Eeyore. He's kind of glass half empty most of the time. Yeah, okay, Jesus, let's go to wherever Lazarus runs, and then we can just all go and die. He's dead, and we might as well die with him. But remember what Jesus says there. I'm glad this has happened. I'm glad I was not there. I'm glad I'm not there, so that you may believe. That's our first little clue or insight into Thomas. Our second clue into uh, insight into Thomas is later on, on the night before Jesus was crucified, at Thursday night, Jesus is in the upper room, he's teaching his disciples, and he says to them in chapter 14 and verse 3, he's talking about going to prepare a place for them, and he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. At which point, Thomas kind of jumps into the fray and says, um, Jesus, verse 5, Thomas says to him, Lord, uh, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? All right, so that's Thomas. We don't know, Jesus. Like, seriously, we don't know what you're talking about. We're completely lost here. You say we know where to go. We don't know how where to go. What is the way? To which we get Jesus' response, which when I read it now, you're going to go, oh my goodness, I know that response. Jesus' response to Thomas are these incredibly famous words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We have quite a bit to thank Thomas for, as it were, uh, not just for the story about his struggle with doubt and disappointment, but also for those words of Jesus in answer to the question, what is the way to where Jesus has gone? How can we find him? How can we find our way back to the Father? And Jesus says, well, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. But it's interesting, because as you bring those two stories together, Jesus saying, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you can believe, and this story about where Jesus is going, and Jesus says, I am the way, and I am the truth. And that's really where we're going to hone in on today, is this aspect of uh, truth. Um, Thomas, I think, comes into focus in this story, in the last couple of verses in chapter 20. So Thomas is basically saying, hey, listen, I don't want to be the gullible one, all right? I don't want to be the one that gets caught out. Um, I like the truth as much as the next person likes the truth, but I know that dead people stay dead. They don't come back to life. I know that Jesus was all about the truth. I don't want to get hoodwinked in this situation. I, maybe this is Jesus' evil twin. Maybe it's some kind of doppelganger. So he wants a sign. He wants to see. He wants the truth. And he asks for the truth, as it were, by saying, I want to see. 
the nail marks in Jesus' hands. And I want to touch the side where the spear went in and pierced him. You see, Jesus would have had very unique wounds from his experience on the cross. And so what Thomas is saying is, what I want, the thing that is going to overcome my unbelief in this situation, is to know that there is continuity. Continuity between the Jesus that died on the Friday and the Jesus that you're claiming uh, rose on the Sunday and appeared to you. Uh, this is the struggle of the skeptic, as it were. Uh, and, and Thomas, uh, his skepticism, fueled by his disappointment of the events that have taken place, and just saying, I, I can't take it again, I can't be disappointed again. This is the language with which he speaks. Staying completely in character for everything else that he said so far in the gospel. And he had a whole week to think about all these things. Jesus appeared on that Sunday, the first day of the week. And we read on verse 26, it was a week later and the disciples were in the house again. Uh, we know that that first Sunday, the disciples had been filled with fear. They weren't sure what the Jewish leaders were going to do to them. Thomas had had a whole extra week now to think about what Jesus had said, what Jesus had taught. To think about what the Old Testament had said about the Messiah. And you can just imagine that all these things were going through his head. And he was still incredibly disappointed. And then we read in verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Same words that he spoke last week. And then he turned to Thomas. And he speaks words that reveal to us that he knew what Thomas had said. But more than that, he knew what Thomas was struggling with. And so in the same way that he dealt with Mary and the other disciples last week, he comes alongside Thomas and he speaks to Thomas the words that Thomas needs to hear. Peace be with you, Thomas. And then he said, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hands and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And the struggle and the disappointment of the skeptic from verses 24 and 25 is now replaced uh, with this cry, this response of faith. My Lord and my God. You see, friends, one of the things that we've got to understand about uh, saving faith is that saving faith is uh, more than just believing. The Bible tells us that the devil believes in God. Even the demons recognized who Jesus was. Uh, that isn't saving faith. Uh, saving faith is more than just believing the truth, but it's never less than believing the truth. Thomas had to believe in the truth of the resurrection, but the Bible never urges us to believe something that is not true. Uh, one of the crucial ways by which we uh, strengthen our faith is by reading these eyewitness accounts. You see, after all, when you stop and you think about what history is made up of, we weren't there. The best that we have are the historians who hopefully were eyewitnesses or at least lived at the time that the events took place. The best historians were the ones who saw what took place and recorded it. Thomas was one such eyewitness. 
And John, in his gospel, is recording that event for the skeptic, for the doubter, for that person who's struggling with disappointment uh, with regards to following Jesus. You see, that was Thomas. He was struggling with the disappointment. He had followed Jesus, and things hadn't worked out the way that he thought they would. But what he'll discover, as we all discover, is that oftentimes when we follow Jesus, things don't work out the way that we expect them to, but they do work out far better. Because the one who is the Lord of heaven and earth is the one who knows us by name, who comes alongside to us, who is personal and who speaks to us the very words that we need to hear. Perhaps those are the words that you need to hear this morning. You couldn't be there 2,000 years ago, but Thomas was. And perhaps you can see something of Thomas in yourself, and you struggle with belief, and you struggle with skepticism, and you find doubt creeping in, and you find all this uncertainty just welling up inside you. Well, hear these words of Thomas this morning. When he sees and believes, when he cries out, my Lord and my God. Now that's an incredibly loaded statement, and we would be remiss for just passing over it incredibly quickly, and yet we don't have a lot of time to spend on it. But really, one of the questions that this passage raises for us is, why is the resurrection so important? Why is Thomas's cry, my Lord and my God, when he meets the resurrected Jesus face to face and sees him and the truth that lies behind the resurrection, what is um, so, uh, what is the gravity of it for us? Well, let me just bring out a couple of thoughts. Number one, the resurrection tells us about Christ's vindication. He suffered so much. How could he have been the Messiah? The fact that there's this continuity between the crucified Jesus and the resurrected Jesus, complete with the wounds by which he suffered, those wounds by which we are healed, shows us that this was Christ's vindication. John had spoken in his gospel already about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He'd spoken about Jesus uh, in John chapter 3 about the, with, in reference to uh, the bronze snake that was lifted up in the wilderness to carry the sins of the people. Uh, Christ is vindicated in his resurrection. What's more, the resurrection is so important, secondly, because of Christ's words. Um, there is a renewed reflection on Christ's words and on Jesus' identity post the resurrection. All of a sudden, after the resurrection, everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus taught, has new weight. It has a new gravitas. There is a new light, a new lens by which we can read everything that Jesus said, not just because all of it became true, but because we discover that Jesus fulfills all the law and all the prophets and all of the plans and purposes and promises of God. So the resurrection is so important because of Jesus' words. Uh, this side of the resurrection, uh, Thomas is uh, faced to think more deeply than he ever had up to this point about Jesus' words. And so too should we. Words are incredibly important. Uh, we hang on so many people's words, especially at this time. We wait for government officials to make announcements or for the president to tell us what's next. 
But how much time do we spend thinking deeply and meditating on the words of the resurrected Jesus? Uh, the words that he spoke both before his death and the words that he spoke after his resurrection. The resurrection is so important because of uh, Christ's identity. Uh, here we see it in the clearest way possible uh, that Jesus is in fact the Son of God that John has been talking about all along. That Jesus is Emmanuel, he is God with us. Uh, that the resurrected Jesus is God visiting this world. That the, world, the word of God became flesh and he made his dwelling among us. The resurrection reveals to us beyond a shadow of a doubt, with absolute clarity, who Jesus is. We have a clear picture, a complete picture, after the resurrection of Jesus' identity. We can't understand his identity apart from the resurrection. And we also understand, fourthly, Christ's mission. That the God-man died a substitutionary death, the death of a redeeming lamb. I mean, it's staggering to contemplate that the God of the Bible, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, became a man. Just try and get your head around that for a second. Just try and contemplate that truth. But now, try and contemplate this truth, that God, who comes into this world and becomes the God-man, dies our death and is then vindicated and raised back to life. Try and get your head around that one. It's one thing to say, hey, God came into the world. It's another thing altogether to say that God came into the world to die my death or to die your death. And then after that, he came back to life. Why? So that you and I might be able to enjoy that life. When Thomas cries out, my Lord and my God, it is both scandalous and glorious at the same time. Uh, Thomas then goes on, um, or Jesus then, sorry, goes on in verse 29 and says to Thomas these words, Behold, uh, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now in your Bible, you've probably got a little bit of a section break something with a title that says after that, the purpose of John's gospel. Now just remember, those titles that are in your NIV or your ESV or whatever Bible you use, those aren't part of the Bible. Those were put in afterwards, uh, probably by the editor of the translation of the Bible that you're using. So we actually need to just strip that out. Because 29 to 31, those verses all go together. They're not actually meant to be separated. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This is what John was getting at back, this is what Jesus was getting back, this is what Jesus was getting at back in John chapter 11 
when Thomas said that first time, uh, yeah, let's also just, let's, guys, come, let's just all go with Jesus so that we can all go and die with him. When he said, Lazarus has died, this is Jesus, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. You see, friends, this is what Jesus has been working towards all along. And this is why John wrote his gospel. Think about John chapter 3, verse 16, maybe the most famous verse, certainly in John, maybe in the whole Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In John chapter 1, we read that um, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Uh, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, uh, full of the grace of salvation, and full of the truth in order that we might know that what we believe is trustworthy, reliable, and dependable because it comes from a Heavenly Father who loves us, who wants to save us, who wants to bring us back into a relationship with Himself. And so when Jesus says these words about, because you've seen me, you have believed, and blessed are those who have not uh, seen and yet have believed, uh, what you've got to understand that is taking place here is that John knows, Jesus knows, John's recording this for us, but Jesus knows that many will come after Thomas, you included, uh, who will not get to see what Thomas got to see. They won't get to see his hands and the nail marks. They won't get to see the spear wound in his side. Uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Uh, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. In other words, Jesus is saying here that you can believe without physically seeing because there were those there who did physically see and their eyewitness accounts are valid. They're valid so that you, you can believe. That's why Jesus uttered those, those words. It's a great comfort to you and to me to know that we can be blessed just like Thomas was blessed, just like all those disciples who saw the risen Jesus were blessed. Um, even though we have not seen, yet we believe. And so we too are numbered amongst God's people, amongst the redeemed, and amongst the saved. Uh, that's why John says, but these are written that you may believe. You see, John wants us to be able to cry out like Thomas did about Jesus, my Lord, and my God. He wants us to be able to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one of God, the Savior of the world, that He is in fact the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So friends, I hope this morning that you will find yourself hugely encouraged, especially if you have found yourself struggling with doubt due to disappointments along the way. Let me tell you, friends, that Jesus never disappoints. He comes to us, He comforts us, He gives us the words that we need to hear. His words are life, and they are recorded here in God's Word, the Bible, in order that we might find encouragement. 
I hope this morning that if you're struggling with disappointment or doubts, that you will find yourself drawing close to Jesus, leaning into the Spirit, uh, delving into the Scriptures, to allow them, through those first eyewitnesses, to alleviate that doubt in order that you might believe. But even more than that, my hope and prayer for you this morning is that like Thomas, you will be able to cry out concerning Jesus, that he is my Lord and that he is my God. You know, what's interesting about Thomas is that when he cries out those words in verse 28, he doesn't say, oh look, Jesus is alive. He doesn't say, oops, maybe I got it wrong. You know, you think about Thomas's own story as it works its way through. Um, oh, well, let's just go with Jesus and we can die with him also. To Jesus, we don't know where you're going. Please, could you tell us? To seeing Jesus and crying out, my Lord and my God. Friends, I hope that as you read your Bibles, as you read these accounts of the eyewitnesses that took place, as you understand that you can be blessed just like they were blessed, even though you weren't there, uh, that the Spirit and the Word will kindle within you faith, that they will uh, relieve you of doubt and skepticism, uh, that you too, like Thomas, will be able to cry out, my Lord and my God. That, friends, is really the most fundamental cry of faith, to be able to say from the depths of our heart and soul, that Jesus is my Lord and that Jesus is my God. In our prayer book, there is a collect for this Sunday. It is a prayer, it's meant to be prayed this Sunday, about Thomas. And as we end our time together, I want to pray that prayer for us. So would you bow with me and let's pray. Almighty and ever-living God, who strengthened your apostle Thomas, with sure and certain faith in your Son's resurrection, grant us so perfectly and without doubt to believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, that our faith may never be found wanting in your sight through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.